Hey, I'm Mike Joseph, and thank you for listening to Detoxicity, a show by men, about men, but for everyone. I hope you enjoy the content of this podcast, and I want to let you know about a few things you can do to support us and our mission to challenge traditional notions of masculinity and create a more communicative, positive, and loving environment for all. You can subscribe to Detoxicity on any podcast platform that you use to listen. We are available just about everywhere. Also, don't hesitate to rate and comment as these help us move up in the podcast rankings. I'm on social media, or at least I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Feel free to drop me a follow. Now I have a Patreon page, yay! And uh, Patreon gives you the opportunity to get cool merch and exclusive episodes of this podcast in exchange for subscribing. Go to patreon.com slash detoxicitypod to find out more. Uh, finally, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you found an episode of the podcast particularly enjoyable or enlightening, or you know someone who'd be a great guest, or you'd like to offer constructive criticism, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, hit me up. Reach out to me at one of the aforementioned social media channels, or if you're old school like I am, drop me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and take care. Hey everyone, I'm going to start this off with a content warning. This episode of Detoxicity goes deep on intimate partner violence, emotional and physical abuse, and suicide. According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, one in three women is a victim of physical intimate partner violence at some point in their life. Sadly, I don't think that's a surprising statistic. What you might find surprising is that one in four men is a victim of physical intimate partner violence. I would imagine that a lot of intimate partner violence among men, particularly in a heteronormative framework, goes unreported because so many men are embarrassed to report it and in many cases are socialized to ignore or not even recognize the signs of abusive behavior. Back in episode 141, we talked to Micah R., who shared his journey through everything from homelessness to his life as a transgender man. Unfortunately, shortly after our episode was released, Micah lost his brother Jeffrey to suicide. Now, Micah and his sister Stephanie are sharing their brother's story as someone who was involved in a toxic relationship fraught with emotional and sometimes physical abuse. This is a heavy conversation about heavy topics, but I really hope that folks, no matter their gender or the gender of their partner, listen, and if they see themselves in any of the situations we discuss, evaluate their lives and relationships and do what they can to get into a better place. I want to thank Micah and Stephanie in advance for sharing their story. Have a listen. So my name is Micah Roldan. And we are having a conversation about men and domestic violence and emotional abuse. And there are so many layers to this conversation. And also, I'm here with my sister, Stephanie, and our brother on June 2nd of this year, 2023, died by suicide after being on the receiving end of domestic violence from his girlfriend. And there are lots of men who actually struggle with abusive relationships at the hands of women. And it's just not a conversation that's really talked about. And that's something that we want to do here today is be able to not only just share his story, kind of try to unpack some of the layers here and the stigma in regards to this topic. So that's kind of where we're at. (laughs) Is there anything you want to add? (laughs) No, you said it perfectly. First of all, I'm sorry for the loss of your brother. Thank you. Thank you. I would imagine that even though it's been three or four months, that stuff sticks with you for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it's still very sudden because it's still new. 
I've watched a, a, a few of your videos talking about this, so I've got a little bit of background on it. I guess, can you just kind of give a synopsis of what he was going through with his partner? And I'm also not sure how much, and this is on y'all, how much you can say uh, regarding specifics. So we can talk about it at, in, in depth. We're just not going to say her name, obviously, yeah. um, right. because then we don't want to get into legal issues in the terms of, oh, you're bullying or defamation of character or whatever. It's okay for a kind of hard to give a brief synopsis, <laughs> but Understood. I'm going to try. Yeah. We're going to try to give that. So our brother's name is Jeffrey D'Angelo Solis. He was 34 years old and he had been in a relationship with his girlfriend at the time for probably a little bit over a year. And they started out as friends as most relationships do. And it went downhill very quickly. <laughs> and what I mean by that is there's always that lovey-dovey stage, right? Before you see who a person really is, they were hanging out. She was in a dark place. And from her own accounts, my brother saved her. She dealt with a lot of trauma in her life. And she was on the verge of wanting to take her own life as well. And he talked her off of the proverbial ledge. And they continued their friendship, and then they started dating at that point. She was still married to someone at the time that they met and were friends and everything like that. And so it, it, she was kind of like, oh, I don't want to be in a relationship, but I want to be in a relationship with you. And there was a lot of factors at the time that we didn't really know. Like, we didn't know that she was still married. We didn't know that... The, the husband was still paying for the house that she was living in. I say all that to just paint the picture, too, of how much this woman is a manipulator. You know what I mean? Not only was, was she manipulating our brother and having this relationship with our brother, but she was still, in a sense, having a relationship with her husband. Right. <laughs> because my guess is he was still under the impression that, hey, we're together. We're having some marital issues. I'm not living in the house, but I'm taking care of the bills and everything like that. So in my mind, you were playing both, both of them. And <clears throat> eventually it got to the point where she started pressuring my brother to leave the place that he was at. My brother was staying with one of his best friends. They were like roommates. I mean, they were like brothers themselves. He was good where he was at, but she started pressuring him to leave where he was to move in with her. And it was conversations I had had with him. Steph had had with him, like, that's probably not a good idea. Then we come to the realization, oh, this man who our brother had never met is the one paying for that house. Like that's his house. And we had made it clear to him, like, this isn't a good idea. First off, you're getting involved in someone else's marriage at this point. Does this man even know what she's doing? Come on, bro. You know how it is. Like we, we talking about people of color who, and I would say any man really, who finds out his wife is messing with another man and bringing that man to his house, you don't know what you're... Yeah, there's definitely going to be some shit. Right. There's going to be some shit because I know me as a married man, if I'm in that position and I find out my wife is messing with someone, you don't know the state of mind somebody can wind up coming to. And we live in a pretty conservative state. Most people here carry guns. You don't know who is carrying a gun, who has a gun, who owns guns. And you're messing around with this dude's wife. And she was very good at 
persuading him in that, oh, no, there's nothing going on between us. We're in the process of a divorce, so on and so forth. And I said to him, bro, I'm sorry, and excuse my language, but every bitch out there is going to say that we're going through a divorce. I've had friends who were saying they were in a process of a divorce and not doing anything about it and still messing around with other people. And then eventually, guess what? They get back together with their partners. Right. People are going to put themselves in the best possible light. Exactly. This is the story that we tell ourselves, right? And then share that story with other people because we want to point ourselves in the best light. Right. And so that's just the reality of human nature. And I think that's also just comes down to our perception of things, right? And our perception can be dictated by our experiences if we want to pretend to be a victim or, or we're getting a dual purpose out of our victim mentality, right? It can be that we're getting attention or we can lack accountability at that point because we can say, well, all of these bad things happened to me. So everything that happens after is not my fault. So there are lots of reasons why people will stay in victim mentalities and paint themselves in these ways. So long story short, he moves in with her and it was a lot of pressure on him that Stephanie and I quickly realized like this is becoming toxic because it was like, She didn't want him to work. And she told me this as well. If he does work, I want him to be at a job that like, basically I can monitor him. What? Yes. So she wanted to be able to monitor him. So our brother loved cooking. And so he used to work at pizza shops and he loved video games. So he would even work sometimes at arcades. And so he was working at a a pizza shop. And because she could not physically be at this pizza shop day in and day out to basically stalk him. It was like, I don't want you to work there because we can't spend time together. I don't know what you're doing. You can say you're going to work, but who works 12 hours a day? These are the things that she was saying. Lots of people. I mean, I Stephanie does. 17 hours, 18 hours a day. So people do it. It doesn't mean that you're being cheated on. People work. We're getting to a bad period in time where the economy is shit. You need more than fucking two incomes at this point to survive. We're a perfect example of this. She, Stephanie here, she works two jobs, right? Boyfriend works a job. I work two jobs. All this so we can all afford to live. Right. So this is becoming the standard. The norm for a lot of Americans out there is having to work multiple jobs or work long shifts in order to pay for groceries, gas, and our basic necessities. I mean, if she didn't want him to have a job, how were the bills supposed to get paid? Because as men, we have to do that too. If we're not providing, (laughs) we're a fucking bum. So if we're not the main breadwinner or we're not making $75,000 a year, we're considered, what, low-value men? That's the whole wave now, right? The high-value man versus the low-value man and the red pills and all that bullshit. So she didn't want him to work at this place. It, It was constant, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? So he's like, okay, I just start doing DoorDash. She was okay with DoorDash because she could physically be in the car with him. I mean, I'm trying to separate myself from the situation, but I'm just seeing red flags falling all around me. Yes. And I said to her, I'm going to tell you this right now. As men, it is ingrained in us since since childhood. We have to work. We have to provide. Okay. I said, our father did not raise us that way. He's not going to just be laid up in the house, not doing anything. And and then let's be real. If he was laid up in the house doing nothing, playing video games, you would then say that he's a piece of shit for being laid up in the house playing video games. It's a lose-lose situation. Right. And I said, this woman has four children. 
you shouldn't even be worried about my brother. As a single parent, basically, you need to be worried about how you're going to take care of these fucking children because they ain't my brother's children. So you can't expect him now to come and take care of your fucking... That's, those are your children. Now, if my brother chooses to do that because... And that's the kind of man that my brother was. But, you know, first off, how are you providing for these children when you're not working? Make it make sense. My brother's dick ain't gold. You know what I'm saying? I, I told her that straight up. You worried about my brother. Why don't you get a job and take care of your fucking responsibilities? This woman's almost 40. You are a grown-ass woman. And you, can, and you have no, no job. No financial security other than, I guess, your husband. He's not my husband. He's your fucking husband. You're legally married to that man. That's your husband. To clarify, to go back, were there divorce proceedings in place? Or was she was legit still <laughs> married? She yeah. claims that they were going to get divorced and the process was starting, but she really wasn't doing anything. She was just trying to reap the benefits of being married to him still. Good God. As This is why we're not saying her name because some of this is hearsay. But from what we've heard, I guess she made the husband leave because she started making claims that he was molesting the children. Oh, boy. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, that's a lie, because I don't know. We heard these things from her, but then when we actually sat down and had a conversation with her children, it was like, that's a lie, that's a lie, this didn't happen, that didn't happen. Her own children were like, we don't want to be around this woman. Good God. Okay. So I'm assuming that you had conversations with your brother like yo why are you involving yourself in this situation oh absolutely if you watched the live stream that we did over on youtube we actually put out some of the audio conversations that steph had with him where he clearly details she goes through my bank statements she wants my bank account information she goes through my social media she goes through my text messages she goes through literally everything everything and and step and, and if you look back on that live stream stephanie says that's not healthy she no. does not need to be going through all of your stuff that is not okay and you can hear it in our brothers well he sounds so defeated he's like yeah i know but i just keep hoping that she's gonna change or things are gonna change and that was just one of many conversations there was a time where i have facetimed him this was probably like six months ago now at this point me and him had a facetime conversation <laughs> And he said, hold on, let me go outside. I could see her in the background. I wish that the audience could see this, but I'm just going to try to paint the picture. You know how for iPhones, it can blur the backgrounds on your FaceTime? Yeah. You could see the little blurb of her head in the right corner of her trying to be nosy, like who you talking to type thing, because he had me in his AirPods. So she couldn't actually hear who he was talking to. And so he goes, hold on, bro, let me go outside. And I'm looking and that was the first time I had actually saw it in action. I said, bro, I can't have a conversation with you. And he was like, nah, let me go outside. So she's like, I can hear in the background, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to go outside. I want to have a private conversation with my brother. But why you got to go outside? Because I want to have a private conversation. This is him. I want to have a private conversation. It's literally Micah. It's my brother. And he turned the phone around and showed her that it was me. And I'm just like, hi. And then she switched up. She was like, oh, hi, Micah. How are you? I'm like, hey, I'm good. What's up? I'm going to have a conversation with my brother. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes outside. We're talking. And I said to him, that's not healthy, bro. No. That's not normal. We have been on the phone now for 10, 15 minutes. Have you seen Damaris, my wife, at any point be like, who are you talking to? What are you doing? 
people who are trusting of each other and respect each other and honor each other, they don't be in each other's shit like that. You have to trust that your partner is being honest with you. If you can't trust that, you have nothing. Yeah, if you can't have a private conversation without your partner, and it doesn't matter your gender or the gender of your partner. If you can't have a private conversation with someone else without your partner looking over your shoulder like, who is that? And trying to monitor you and track you, you are not in a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Period. Period. So I said to him, why are you still with her? Why are you doing this? And he's, nah, bro, she's a good girl, man. She's sweet. She's really been there for me, really trying to help me out. I said, oh, bro, how? You quit your job <clears throat> to be with this bitch 24 fucking 7. And, I, and, and it, I'm not trying to offend other people out there, but she's being a bitch. I'm sorry. You're acting real cunty. Okay? <laughs> That's not normal, bro. That's not normal to be with somebody 24-7. Nope. Did she wipe your ass when you go take a shit? Did she lift your balls to clean? You know what I mean? What are, what are you doing? I said, we've been on the phone for 10 minutes and she's already interrupted us twice. And so he kind of switched the subject, you know? So I'm starting to go into therapy and we're talking about therapy. And he was like, I don't know why you do it. I don't know how you do it because I don't feel like it's working. What's the point? I'm talking about the stuff I already did. What does that do? And I said to him, bro, it takes time. It's going to feel weird. And it does feel kind of pointless at first. Like I'm just rehashing my life. But at the end of the day, your therapist is trying to get to know you. They're trying to understand you. And the only way to understand somebody sometimes is to learn about their past experiences, because then you can start to decipher why they think the way they think or what happened to them that altered the way that they experienced the world around them. You know, so I know it feels weird, but I promise you, you have to give it time. And he was just like talking about how he missed our dad because our dad had passed away back in 06. So he's like, I miss my dad. And I said to him, I get it. I do get it, bro. And I feel bad now thinking back on it because I wish that I knew the right thing to say. And I think that's another thing that we struggle with in our society. We're not all professionals. We're not all therapists. We're not all psychiatrists. Not that you need to be one in all situations, but I feel like in these situations when people are really struggling with their mental health, I feel like there has to be a standard that we can set as a society where these are the kinds of things that you can ask somebody or what you can say to somebody who may be experiencing that. Because in verbatim, I'm going to tell you what I told him. I was like, I know you miss dad. You don't think I miss him. I lost him too. I miss him too. But guess what, bro? You're 34 years old. I'm going to be 30 years old. It gets to a point where you stop blaming mommy and daddy for our problems. And we have to take accountability. We have to move on at some point. And you're doing what you have to do to move on by going to therapy and doing what you need to do. It just takes time. But we got to put our big boy pants on and do what we have to do. You need to get away from this woman, go back to where you were, and just go back to being friends, if that. Because that woman needs fucking therapy, too. And he was like... I'm tired of people telling me that I have to move on or I could get, I said, I'm not trying to be insensitive to you, but you have to have a point in time where it's like, okay, I have to take ownership of the way that I feel. And what am I going to do about how I feel? Right. And, you know, when I think back on that, sometimes I feel so guilty saying that to him because I feel like I was basically saying to him, get over it. But in the nicest way possible. Yeah, <laughs> you I know mean, what I mean? There's two ways you can look at that. And I'm obviously a third party here. I don't think that what you said was particularly insensitive. I think it was real talk. Um, 
And sometimes in a moment when people are hurting or suffering, they're not necessarily in a space to hear people who are coming from a very real place. Mm -hmm. The reality is that the stuff that happens to us when we're younger carries through to our entire lives. We deal with that shit until the day that we die. Um, But there are ways to get help for it and learn to deal with it better. Mm -hmm. And that's where the therapy piece comes in. So I think ultimately what you said was absolutely right. Um, But everybody takes things different. And professionals don't always have all the answers. I've had some wild shit said to me by people that work in the mental health field before. The sad thing is that nobody has all the answers. And Mm -hmm. people are always going to say things that are taken the wrong way, but are meant with good intentions. So I certainly wouldn't blame yourself for anything. Ultimately, when someone makes the decision to take their lives, it is their decision. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's more complicated than that one sentence can say. Mm-hmm. But Well, I think that's another piece of that with grief, right? Is the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Right. Especially in this situation of someone taking their life, you start questioning everything that you ever said to that person. And, okay, could I have said something differently? Could something I have said or did altered the outcome? Now, like you said, none of us have all the answers. Sometimes we don't even have the answer. Yeah. <laughs> and yet still, you know, I guess it's human nature. You can't help but wonder what could have been different. The what mm-hmm. is. What could I have done differently? And this is something we've discussed as a family as well at, at points in time over the last few months. What could we have done differently as a family to, to support each other or to have supported Jeffrey when he was experiencing what he was? Because I feel that we failed in a lot of different areas. And I think this is where Stephanie and I, and I don't want to speak for you. You can let me know if I'm on there, but this is where I think this has become so important for us to start talking more about these things online with doing things like this podcast, other podcasts that we're scheduled to get on and even our own stuff that we're doing on YouTube and and revamping the podcast for us as well. These conversations are so important because fuck gender, just as human beings, how do we support each other? And I think that we failed in a lot of areas because we sat there and I think we put all of the accountability and responsibility on our brother because we said, well, you're a grown ass man. So why are you accepting this? And it's not that simple. It's not that simple. And so that's where I think it's important to have these conversations of how do we support other human beings? Because we failed in that sense. PTSD will do that to you and grief will do that to you where you think about every encounter you had with your loved one and you're like, okay, this is where I failed. I I should have said this differently or I should have took him seriously when he said that he was struggling or that he was feeling sad. Instead, the instinctual thing as a man was get over it. I'm just being honest. We got to keep pushing and not even just as a man, as our culture teaches us this. Stephanie's not a man. And I can't tell you how many conversations her and I have had where she's like, you got to get over it, bro. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. You got to keep. Yeah. It's not that easy. I mean, the stuff that we go through in life is really hard to get over a lot of times. Like there really is no getting over it. Yeah. I, I used to date this girl in high school and every time there was a conflict, she'd be like, deal with it. And I almost feel like deal with it and get over it are similar, but not exactly mm-hmm. the same. Like get over it means be different yeah deal with it means deal with it move forward from it as opposed to getting over it which almost implies that forget the situation even took place Mm -hmm. i i i I see what you mean i think that my perspective on the the whole term get over it has always been 
because of the way I was raised and and what I interpreted from the way I was raised, it's more so bottle it up, mm. put it put it put it in a box somewhere mm. and put it to the like you don't have to think about that mm. because thinking about it isn't going to change the situation. Being stuck in that situation is not doing anything for you. Right. It's okay to feel your feelings and be in it, but you have to get to a point where you get out of your feelings and do the thing. And unfortunately, this is where we miss the mark with mental health, like depression, with anxiety, ADHD, bipolar. In some situations, people can't just get out of the feeling. It's not that simple to just, okay, I'm depressed, but I'm just going to get up and brush my teeth. If that was easy, then they would just do it. Do it. Absolutely. When there's people out there who really don't have that firsthand experience with mental health, of course, it seems simple to say why can't you just do the thing because i can do the thing we're not all the same but we can't all just do the thing yeah and so i think that was woven into a lot of the conversations because in some ways i looked up to my brother but he's my big brother big brother yeah. you know what i mean i think that i had that expectation sometimes of you're supposed to do better and i think that's another thing that even just as siblings that are friends and in relationships that we do to other humans is we have these fantastical ideas in our mind of who they are and sometimes we put them on a pedestal and we want them to do even more because if not then it disappoints us some for some reason and and so when we would have these conversations i'm like yo you've never been a type to take no shit from somebody why are you doing that mm. and i was a proud brother in a way is like yeah my brother will fuck you up you know what i mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? or my brother will t- tell you what it is and he taught me that in a lot of ways growing up to stand up for myself so to me there was times that that disappointment of like stand up for yourself like are you gonna let her put her hands on you knock her out one good time she ain't gonna put her hands on you one again and i'm not advocating for violence not advocating yes let's be clear i'm not advocating for violence i'm just saying that i had that same societal mentality of men are bigger and stronger so if we're bigger and stronger why are you accepting that you know, one thing that's kind of rattling around in my head, and they make songs about it, talk shows exist on this premise, <clears throat> it, it, it's such a real thing, is people who fall into a relationship and completely lose the sense of who they are after they meet somebody and fall in love. And mm-hmm. because I've never experienced that, like we were talking about earlier, how like if something doesn't happen to you, like with depression, you don't really understand it. That's something I don't really understand. How somebody could meet somebody and then like switch up their whole way, like change their whole being based on somebody that they want to be in a relationship with or that they are in a relationship with. I can, if I can interject for a second. Yeah, please. Because you hit something on there. I think the part is that when you're already a person who internally is struggling with self-esteem, that's number one. Jeffrey wanted so badly to love and be loved. Okay, you have to to paint a picture a little bit here to get a more of an understanding of who Jeffrey was and even us as a family <clears throat> because that plays into who we become as we get older sometimes, yes. right? It's, yeah. it's our family dynamics. Our father died when they were teenagers. Stephanie and Jeffrey, they're only a year apart. So Steph was 16, Jeff was 17. I was 12. Okay, so our dad dies and that's a crucial part 
of becoming an adult is having, especially in this society has very strict ideologies of what men are supposed to be. And in that time period of you're becoming a man for your father to pass away. And now you have to become the man of the house, Mm -hmm. especially in our culture. And I know that Jeffrey took that very difficult because he's like, fuck, I'm just now becoming an adult and coming into becoming a man. And I'm supposed to take care of my younger siblings and my mom. How do I do this? And I know that he struggled. This is conversations him and I have even had that I know he struggled with that pressure, that idea of who he was supposed to be as the man of the house now that our father was gone. So you have that ideology. Then our mother wasn't very nurturing. You know, I'm sure she loves us because she's our mom. And I'm sure that there's some type of maternal drive there to love the your offspring. But maybe. May, <laughs> in some, not all, yeah, situations, yeah. we'll say yeah. that. Yeah. I can say knowing our mom, I know that the love is there. But she's also someone who has dealt with a lot of, a lot of unresolved trauma. Mm-hmm. And so, like we've talked about before, hurt people hurt people. And it's not intentional. It's that's what you know. And that's what you think is normal. Or we talked about this, getting their ass beat as a kid. And well, their parents beat them. So they think that that's what you're supposed to do. And so on and so forth. They don't right? understand that they're dealing with damage from the way they were treated and then passing that damage on to the people that they're supposedly treating the same way. Right. And a lot of people will think about it like, well, my parents loved me and they took care of me and this is how they showed me love. So in turn, this is what I guess I have to do to show somebody love. It's normalized. And so you have that factor of our mom. And then you also have to take it to account. We lost our father. She lost her husband. Mm. Right. So she's dealing with that and trying to still take care of three kids that are in the house. So there's that problem there. Then Jeffrey struggled with dyslexia. Jeffrey had a hard time reading and writing. He wasn't a dumb person, but he had his difficulties in learning. So that's an insecurity right in and of itself, because he was insecure about the fact that he struggled so much to read and write. Didn't graduate uh, uh, high school. Not that that always has to be the thing, but just from like our standards. Yeah, okay. I mean, the reality is that if you don't have a high school diploma, it's hard to get a job. That's just facts. Right. So I say all of this to say that you have a person here who is struggling with their self-esteem, their self-worth. And then they meet a person who tells them they're great and amazing. But if you just did this, you would be better. Mm. And the goalpost is constantly shifted. And so you're constantly trying to strive basically for a standard you're never going to be able to meet because the person's always going to change the goalpost. First, it was, I don't want you to work at a place where we can't spend time together. I want to be around you all the time. Now it's, well, I have trauma with my past relationships or I don't trust you. So now I need to see your phone. Oh, but everything would just be great if you did this, if you didn't talk like this, if you didn't do this, if you didn't do that. Do you see what I'm saying? And it snowballs. And I think that's the piece that a lot of people miss kind of like what you were saying, how can you change your whole being for this person? And I've been in that situation in a past relationship where I was changing a lot of who I was to fit the mold because I wanted so badly to be loved and to love someone. And I didn't feel good enough to just be loved as I was. We can always all improve. There's nothing wrong with improvement. But in this scenario, you have somebody who's basically saying you're not good enough. And but if you do what I tell you to do, you'll be good enough. That's hard to pass up on. So I feel like this was a perfect storm because now here you have this woman 
who's saying, I'm going to love you and take care of you and be here for you and blah, 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 in the way that a man wants to be with their partner or anyone wants to be with their partner. And the goalpost is constantly shifted on what makes me valuable. And you can't keep up with it. I mean, it makes sense to me that somebody who has low self-esteem plus somebody who is dealing with their own issues, but also is emotionally manipulative. Um, and maybe on both sides, didn't grow up with a great idea of what good relationships are supposed to be. Absolutely, right there. Because that would we just, that'd be a toxic saw. stew. Yeah, I know that our parents loved each other, but at the same time, we saw this growing up. And this is another thing that we excuse sometimes because of culture. I can't tell you how many videos I've seen on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, you know, men will be like, oh, haha, my crazy Latina girlfriend. Oh, she slashed my tires. Ha ha, that's funny. Or, oh, you know, uh, what, she's smacking. I mean, I can't remember the, the couple's name. They're like, I guess they're famous on, on social media. I think you followed. I can't remember their name. But oh. it's a couple, though, and the woman be <laughs> smacking them up and everything. And they say crazy off the wall shit to each other. And you'll see people in the comments like, ha ha, that's so funny. My girlfriend's like this. And then you'll see some sane people who will be like, no, this is not normal in a relationship. And then you'll have hundreds of people come to that couple's defense and say well that's how their relationship is and it works for them y'all are just too sensitive and it's like no nigga this is not normal it's not normal it's to not treat normal. each other like that but guess what let's be real a lot of us people of color come from broken homes with fucked up shit going on and it's easier to say it's normal than to admit that there's a problem right and then you add into that i think people are afraid to be alone the way that our society is set up isn't really geared towards people living alone. I think mm -hmm. people who live alone struggle financially or what have you. Mm -hmm. And there's also this societal narrative that says you get out of high school, you get out of college, you're supposed to find your person and be with them for the rest of your life. And unless you have the internal, whatever it is, I don't think it's intelligence. I just think it's an, an internal thing that makes you question like why these things are so, then you're going to end up falling into that. And then also, if you get to a point where you're in your 30s and you don't have nobody, you're like, why? Mm -hmm. What's wrong with me where I'm not in this situation? So then the first person that shows you love or what you think is love or what you feel to be love, you're going to fall head over heels for and try to lock that up as quickly as possible. But then it sounds like your brother just got into a bad situation. Mm -hmm. And the sad part is that the more men that I talk to about this conversation, the more I find that men are actually dealing with emotional abuse and a lot of times can't identify that this is wrong. I should not be talked to this way. All right? It's like, ha ha, oh, women, ha. Huh? Right. You right. know what I mean? Like, that's just what it is. It's not a big deal. And then I, I'll have these conversations with some of these guys and I'm like, do you think she would think it's okay if you talked to her that way or treated her that way? Mm hmm. The standard seems to be much different for what's expected of how we treat women versus how women treat us. Right. And as I'm listening to your situation, I'm reversing the genders in my head. And I'm like, okay, if this girlfriend was a dude and your brother was a woman, that wouldn't fly even a little bit. Mm -hmm. So there is a double standard. And I think men are not very good at 
acknowledging or noticing when they're being abused. Mm -hmm. They're definitely not in a place where they feel comfortable talking about it because then it emasculates you, right? Mm -hmm. Like, really? Your girl put hands on you? Your girl is manipulating you? Are you a real man? And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that from a place of that's what I think, but that's what a lot of men would say. That's what you hear. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. We had posted a, a short clip on TikTok and literally you had women already that was like, why don't you just leave? Or the detective himself, when we were talking about, look, we understand that our brother died by suicide. What we don't understand is why you can't prosecute her for the domestic violence that led up to what he did. Why is that something that we can't talk? And again, and this man who had has probably been a detective, what do you say, 20 years or some shit? Because that was somehow relevant. Um, well, you know, everybody thinks that because they have experience doing something that they're the authority. Uh-huh. Well, suicide is common. So whether he <laughs> did it today or not, he would have probably did it in your house, your mother's house, anybody's house. Not true. Like, no. 100% because not true. Our, <clears throat> exactly. <clears throat> I'm like, we know our brother, like the back of our head, he wouldn't have just done it anywhere. That's not how it works. Right. I watched a video myself on what he did. And I'm just like, you had 12 minutes, 12 minutes to get out the car to say something. And yet you told a detective and I was catching him in lies here and there. She said she had 911 on speed dial. Well, why the fuck do you have 911 on speed dial when you could open your car door to be like, hey, listen, let's talk about this. Put the gun down. Let's not do this to deescalate the situation. And you could have text us, called us or whatever to be like, hey, listen, your brother's about to do something real stupid. You need to come over here. This is where we're at. We have his location. We have all of each, uh, each other's locations. We knew everything that was going on, but we didn't know to what extent what was going on. So the same way he saved your life, like you said he did, why couldn't you save his? And then to not do nothing. I want to say something too. I want to say that we can't have that mentality of we are in control of saving someone else's life. So I, and I have to make that distinction because of the fact that at the end of the day, we are not the universe. I don't know what people believe in religiously, I guess, right? We're not We're not the end-all, be-all. But I can say that you can make an attempt. But, but I, we got to be sure clear because there will be someone out there that might... There's maybe gonna, listen, there's always going to be someone out there that's going to talk shit. Oh, you can't say this, you can't say that. I don't care about none of that. I don't... Again, if you see the situation firsthand and I see somebody that's attempting to try to hurt themselves, I'm going to do whatever I can to stop it. Stop that, mm-hmm. right? You're, and you're still giving that few minutes to be like, they're going to think, you know what? Maybe this is not yep. what I want to do. Yep. You didn't even do that. So that's the problem that we have right there. You sat there the whole time and you watched it happen and then came out the car and decided to call 911. I saw it firsthand. The security camera. Yes. Security. I watched the security footage firsthand. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. To witness that, trying to figure out what was going through his mind or what was going through her mind, I felt like she was probably like, well, let's see how far you're going to take it. Are you really going to do it? I can't speak for her, but I'm pretty sure knowing who she is as a person. Especially based off of the text messages that we saw. Red saw an hour and a half that he recorded in the car while he was with her saying certain things. It was a cry for help. Yeah. Our brother was making that attempt like a cry for help. I want to hurt myself or I should just hurt myself. You know, so as someone myself who has tried to take my own life, when I was in that mentality of I'm just going to do it, I didn't say nothing to nobody. But I can distinctly recall leading up to it, that cry for help, because I didn't really want to die. I wanted the pain to not it be pain there. to her go away, right. Yeah, I just didn't want to feel the way that I did. And as someone at the time who really, really struggled with my self-esteem, I, I needed to know that somebody cared about me. Mm-hmm. And if I would have known that 
in those moments, somebody cared for me, I wouldn't have. So leading up to that, I can tell you, I had had conversations with people of like, sometimes I want to hurt myself. And as fucked up as it's going to sound, it's almost in a sense of testing the waters. Do you care enough to tell me that I shouldn't? And if I wouldn't have had that, I probably would have attempted it again. And so to know that I had people that cared about me, it was like, okay, I can work through this because I have a support system now. And I think that most people do this. Will say, sometimes I want to hurt myself, or sometimes I'm depressed, or sometimes I'm. De- it's a cry for help. Mm-hmm. And he was telling her in text messages. He's like, You know that I'm depressed. You know that I have anxiety. You know I'm going through this stuff. And this is a lot. And sometimes I want to hurt myself. And she would just skim past that. Bro, the text messages are absolutely fucking disgusting. How can you be that way towards another human being? I, I will never understand that. In that moment, I, I think I, he, he needed her, her to yeah, care. to be like, hey, right. listen, don't do what you're thinking about doing. Let's talk about this. Da, 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 da. Even if you had to fucking lie until we got there, just whatever you had to do to de-escalate that situation, you didn't even do it. You didn't do it. I feel like in her mind, she didn't say this, but this is my yeah. perception. It's like, if I'm not going to have this. I don't want you to be with anyone else. So right. I really don't care what you do. Right. She comes off as that type of person. And, and that's just based off of the conversations I've had with her personally. Yeah. And I literally told her to her face the day after our brother passed and we went to pick up her shit. I was like, all these men in your life have left. And you always blame each and every one of them. But the common denominator here is you. you. You're the fucking problem. You cannot tell me every relationship you ever had been ended on bad terms because that person was shitty if they are shitty then it's you picking shitty people (laughs) let's have some accountability here this all happened in a broad daylight okay in a parking lot actually not far from where they were living this was was literally in a, a complex with multiple businesses so this isn't like he did it in the house or he did it privately in a secluded area. He did this in broad daylight in a parking lot. And so they were sitting in that parking lot for about two, three hours before he ever got out of the car. Her thing was that she told a detective that she was dropping him off. Without his belongings, all he had was a computer bag. Computer bag with his technology stuff in it. I'm like, let me get this straight. You're dropping him off. Except you guys are are sitting in a parking lot for two to three hours. Where are you dropping him off at? If, if I'm dropping somebody off and I'm done with you and we're over and I know you don't have a vehicle, I'm going to either tell somebody to come pick you up or drop you off somewhere. I'm not going right. to sit in the parking lot for fucking two or three hours and continue to either argue back and forth and do all this extra shit. I'm or done with theorize you. about life. I'm, I'm <laughs> done with you. There's no talking. We're done. But you're sitting in the parking lot for two or three hours. So it was a situation where he had made a decision to leave her? Well, yeah. that He was either going to go to a shelter or his friend's house. Which that's another to- thing. The shelter wouldn't take him because they were full, air quotes. But I said, let's be real. Had he been a woman with a child or just a woman in general, they, they would have made space him. for him. We know that for a fact they would have made space for him. But let's be real. They look at it as men as like, well, you'll figure it out. He just didn't want to be bothered. He felt like he was bothering us. And we're like, no, you could have stayed at my house. You could have stayed at his house. That weekend, he was supposed to stay at our mom's house. We were going to pick him up that same day that, that everything happened. But at that point, I guess he just told, hey, listen, I'm leaving. She was like, okay, whatever. I'm going to drop you off. Where did you drop him off at? Without his belongings. You left him in a parking lot. Yeah, I sat there for two or three hours watching the footage. I'm like in disbelief. She has our numbers. She could have texted us like, hey, listen, somebody needs to come get yeah, it. Where do I yeah. drop them off at? You know where our mother lives at. Don't act like you didn't know where you were going. But you sat there. And, I, and I, I try to replay this situation in my head to be like, 
you could have did something. Or even have called somebody and been like, hey, I feel like your brother is really unstable right now. Yeah. Can you come and help manage the situation? Yeah. She mm-hmm. did it though. This. If she had 911 on speed dial, why didn't she fucking use it? Right. You can even text 911 and be like, hey, listen, I have somebody in my car that's ready to do something to themselves or he's harassing me or whatever. Yeah, you didn't do that? Right. This woman that said that she worked in the medical field too. So after everything happened, you didn't check his pulse. You didn't even help him. You didn't even check to see if no he was CPR, still moving. Nothing. No, nothing. It was, a, it was a random passerby. Two cars that were passing by that watched the incident that came. I watched the video. Two cars pulled inside immediately. She came out and she looked over him. She was on the phone with 911. And, and I have everything have documented. Logs. I work for law enforcement. I have the log. I see everything. Like, oh, hey, I think my boyfriend killed himself. He shot himself. Does he have a pulse? No, I think he's dead. He's not moving. His brains are on his, the floor. His brains are splattered on the floor. Bitch, you didn't even check his pulse. So a random stranger had to come inside, pull to the side, move her away from his body, check him to see he still had a pulse. He still had a pulse. He's moving his fingers around. So you're telling that me- was, That was wasted valuable time. Time, right. Even if you couldn't just hope, apply pressure to the wound or nothing like that, I would think first instinct is you're going to go and, and help. No, you didn't do any of that. So- like, It makes me think sometimes you're a sick person. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand help. that type of thinking because that's not me. I'm very much the type of person that runs towards danger. I've yeah. had situations where I heard my neighbors arguing and I heard the woman saying she couldn't breathe. And I immediately put my motherfucking boots on. And my friends, bro, like, we don't know if they got guns. You don't know what they're doing. So we called the police. But I said, bro, what if she's over there getting killed? I'm supposed to just sit here and listen to this? Or when my mom had the stroke literally the day after, not even 24 hours after my mother had a stroke, after Holy my brother shit. passed. And I said, if I wouldn't have been there, my mother would not be here. We would have like, had to bury our mother. We would have had to bury our week. mother and our brother in the same week. So I rush over to my mother. She's vomiting. I'm literally holding her face so she doesn't ch- fucking, because she's seizing at this point, to not choke on her own vomit. I got my wife calling 911. I'm right there the whole time with my mom, checking her pulse and everything. Uh, luckily, I do know CPR. So I'm calling dispatch, like, do I need to start performing CPR? And I don't even know how to explain it. I went into this weird place when adrenaline kicks in. It was like everything was moving in slow motion and I was focused. I had to disconnect from the fact that this is my mother and be like, this is a patient. This is a random person in the street. Now, granted, after the ambulance came and took my mother away, then I broke the fuck down and lost my shit. Right. But in the moment, I had to remain calm. Right. And not a nurse. I don't have some type of crazy medical experience. I do have first aid and CPR training. You're a whole fucking nurse and do all this shit and you, you don't know how to check a pulse and apply pressure to a wound or make a tourniquet or a fucking do CPR something, come on, apply pressure to the wound, stop the bleeding. So it's frustrating to hear that. And I can't understand that thought process. I have tried. How can you just stand and watch and do nothing? I've tried to understand that level of thinking. And my therapist says it's the fight or flight response, right? There's fight, flight, freeze. freeze. So it sounds like she froze. And I was like, how can you be a medical professional and that even be a response mm-hmm. to be a nurse or to be an EMT or to be police officer, anything that is involved with the public safety and well-being, that should not be your motherfucking response in any situation is to freeze. Right. I guess the question then becomes, was it a freeze response or was it just like a, a cold kind of like, psh, oh, well. well. 
Yeah, she didn't even attempt or anything. They were asking her if she did CPR, but she's just like, no, I think he's already dead and he's not moving. How can you know he's he's dead if you never right. check the pulse? When, when, the, when the EMTs got there, they were just like, well, he has a pulse. In a medical emergency, every second counts. Every second counts. Yeah. I was just about every to say second yeah. counts. And they got there immediately and they did whatever they could. So it's just like, you see it and you're watching the video. And I just couldn't believe it. From beginning to end, I was just like, okay. I have all these unanswered questions that, that will probably never be answered. And I'm asking the detective, and he's just nonchalant about shit. Like, unfortunately, You're we toxic. see this every day, and the relationship was toxic. It sounds like two people that were going through their own stuff shouldn't have been together. And then, oh, recently, I had a coworker of mine kill himself because his son last year killed himself, and he's just going through a lot. I'm like, that's supposed to make me feel better? Right. Yeah. That's what what, does that what the say? fuck does that have to do with my situation right now? Oh, oh, so God. this is just normal shit. We're not going to publicize it because we don't want everybody to start doing this to themselves. But we see it a lot. So I sympathize with you. What? No, you don't. What the fuck? What does this say about our society, though, that we just have become so desensitized to mental health, especially men's mental health? Because yeah. men are at a higher rate. Of... And this is a man telling me that. Though. Yes. Like, he's just but, like. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. Believe it. Like... Men, are, we are so desensitized to men's mental health. Because I spoke to another man who I got into a whole argument with about the same thing. He's like, he made a choice. He was a man. He could have overpowered her. Because yeah. when we started talking about the abuse that he was receiving, hot pasta being thrown on his body. She burned him. Mm -hmm. He's sleeping in puddles of water, barricading him in a basement. He was brushing his teeth in a washing machine because he wasn't allowed to go use the bathroom. He took a shower once a week, twice if he was lucky. Peeing in a bucket, shitting in a bucket. That's torture. That is torture. That's torture. You are dehumanizing somebody. You dehumanize. She dehumanized him. And when I was having a conversation with another man who was in law enforcement for over 30 years that I know, and I, I haven't talked to since the last conversation because it, it really pissed me off. He said well, he could have overpowered her or he could have shot her. And he's like, how big was your brother? Why it does it matter. matter? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I want this to be something that we really need to address with men. Stop saying that just because we're men, we can overpower somebody. We can just kill them. Stop saying that, bro. Let's talk about the real issue. As men, we do not have mental health support. We're told to get over everything, figure it out, and women can abuse us. I was saying this on the live stream. As a, as a transgender man, I have been in both women and men's bathrooms because at one point in time, I was received and perceived in the world as a woman. And you know how many times I've gone into places that they have pamphlets for domestic violence? Oh, if you're at the receiving end of domestic violence or something's going on, bring this pamphlet to the front or bring this little sticky note to the front and we'll help you get out. Shelters that are dedicated to women and children. Shelters dedicated to just women in general who are trying to get out of their abusive relationships. Do you know how many times I've seen it in a men's bathroom? None. Never. I haven't. Actually, I saw it once, and that's because it was a unisex bathroom. So there is no support for us as men to get out of these situations. We pretend like it never exists or it never happens, and we excuse women for treating us the way they do, and we laugh about it and say, ah ha, or we em emasculate each other by saying, why are you letting a bitch treat you like that? Why are you letting a bitch talk to you like that? This misogyny harms us too. Right. The reality is there's so many things that could have changed what happened to Jeffrey. There are so many things that could have changed what happened to him. And, and, and people don't realize how insidious this emotional manipulation and abuse is. 
it's so much more insidious than being punched in the face. And that's the thing. She did that too. She punched him in the face, hit him and everything. And even in the last moments, there is a fucking video that our brother did that we shared some of. We didn't share the entire video because he shows her face in the video. Literally of before he went and took his life. And in that video, he says, she would punch me in the face, but it's okay. It didn't hurt. It's okay. Like it didn't hurt me. It did hurt you. Maybe it didn't hurt you physically, but it hurt you because you're sitting there thinking it's fucking normal and it's not normal. If you are a man out there and you got a woman who's sitting there saying, fuck you and this, that, and the third and talking to you all crazy and all up in your phone and, and in your banks and every single thing, it's not normal. It's not okay just because she's a woman it's for her to treat you that way. There's so many different things in this situation that just need to be better, right? Mental health services for men have to be better. There need to be spaces where men who are going through situations where they are being mistreated or abused can go to get help. There needs to be a discussion for everybody about internalized misogyny. And there needs to be a discussion about relationships and what should be acceptable versus what should not be acceptable in relationships. And again, it doesn't matter what gender. If someone is looking through your phone, if someone puts hands on you, if someone emotionally abuses you, if someone throws shit on you, any of that stuff, it's not cool. And it's not for me to say everybody makes mistakes, right? Everybody does things that are out of character. But certainly if there's a pattern of it, how does the saying go? First time shame on you, second time shame on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sad part is how many people can say that they were aware consciously of the emotional abuse though. Especially like that. And that sometimes that's why it's so insidious, right? Because it started with, I just want to look through your phone. Yeah. And it, it, it escalates over time. A manipulator will allow you to get used to a certain behavior for a little bit. And it starts off small and then it escalates. And the thing is that people will say all day long, well, this person could have just left. How? There was no resource. There was no support for Jeffrey to leave. Yeah, no already it's not necessarily that he didn't have anywhere to go, but he believed that he didn't. He's like, I don't want to be a burden on my family to go live with them as a grown man. Right. He said, so I'm going to go to a shelter and I'm going to start over. But the shelter wouldn't take him in. A lot of shelters, they do require that you're working, that you're making an effort before they can give you help and resources, which I understand. But at the same time, when we're talking about a, a situation with domestic violence and emotional abuse, you have to understand she had already isolated him from us because he was coming over less and less, talking to us less and less, because it was a problem if she talked to us or came over without her. If she wanted to monitor everything he was doing. So think about that. You're isolated from your support system, number one. Now you have no finances because she won't allow you to work. Then his car broke down. And now he's like, okay, well, I need to get a regular job so that I can buy another car. Right. So that was a problem. Now you're talking about trying to go to a shelter that says, well, we don't have space for you. And even if we did, you have to have a job. How can he do that when he's trying to start over and get out of the situation? I know of a, a, a guidance counselor. She works in, in the school system here in Pennsylvania, has dealt with children that are in the shelter with their mother. You know what they did? They put the boy by himself with grown men because they said, you're a boy, you can't be over here with your mother and your younger siblings. Once they get to a certain age, which is around that 12, they'll put you with grown men completely removed from your mother. So you cannot tell me that the system is not working against us and designed to not help us. It's that just, not. 
and then all they do sorts of fucked up shit. How many times do they just try to give us a bunch of medication for our mental health? Instead of actually getting us in with therapists, a lot of times it's like, here's a pill. Which is why for most men that I talk to that are looking for therapists, I tell them straight up, don't go to a man, go to a woman. I know that sounds fucked up, but find a female therapist. Because a lot of times, believe it or not, they'll actually listen to you. I've been to male therapists. They tell me it's all in my fucking head. And here's a pill for that. I've been there too. I mean, every therapist that I've had has been a, a male. With that said, there are some who are good, some who are not good. And I do think that in some cases, being a man prevents you from getting the care that you should get. Because again, people are socialized to believe men are not... Uh, do you have any contact with this woman now, four months after the fact? I'm assuming the answer is no. Hell no. First off, the only thing we, we were trying to get in contact with her because she refuses to give all of our brother's belongings to us. When everything happened, she blocked all of us on the literally that the same day. So if this is somebody that you love and you care about so deeply and everything happened, instead of you texting, calling, any type of communication to notify us or our mom, you didn't do any of that. What she did was she changed her number within a matter of less than two hours of the situation. She changed her number. She blocked us from social media. She blocked our phone number. Um, Micah's wife had to hit her up on TikTok and send her a message to be like, hey, listen, you need to call us because Stephanie and, and mom, they want his things and you need to give us his things. You're not his wife. You're not entitled to any of his things. She then created one of those Google app numbers and uh, I called the number and she's like, oh, who's this? Is this Damaris or is this Stephanie? I said, it's me. Let's let's be real. And I I tried to ask a couple questions like, what happened? How did it happen? And when we asked her what happened- She she started talking about how she was in the hospital. Her day, I went to her house the next morning. She wasn't there. Her car wasn't there. Nobody was there. She saw me on the ring camera. So I, I went to my mom's house and that's when we called her. And she's like, yeah, I saw on the camera that you went to my house. Yeah, I went to your fucking house because I want my brother's things. So where's his stuff? Or what happened? You know, you blocked us from social media. You blocked us from calling you and all that stuff, whatever. For, so for someone who's not guilty of anything, this is the route that you take? I mean, that's 100% guilty conscious behavior. Right. So I just want to know what happened. What was his last words? What did he say? And she's just going from the beginning from when she woke up. Oh, I woke up and I had eggs today. Bitch, we didn't ask all that. Fast forward to where you guys were sitting at. And at this point, I was already irritated. And I was just like, and where she- the fuck are you? And she also told so many different stories. She said everything happened so fast. It was within seconds. I didn't know he had a gun. First off, she knew that he had a gun. Okay, He carries his gun everywhere. Even the kids were like, yeah, mom, you know that he has his firearm. Don't lie. So your kids are even validating and verifying that. Why are you acting stupid? You know that this is, you know, who Jeffrey is. Like he carries Jeffrey, stuff. Jeffrey, and I want to make that a point too, because somebody has said something stupid about that. What? How if he had access to a firearm, then he had money or he had a way to get out of the situation. Let's clarify this. Jeffrey was an enthusiast when it came to firearms. Okay. Mm -hmm. He loved going to the range. Jeffrey didn't have access to multiple firearms. Jeffrey only ever had one firearm that he carried and that he had for many years before any of this ever happened. So let's not pretend like, oh, well, he had access to firearms. So he had access to to leaving. Buying one firearm fucking seven years ago that you still have to this Mm -hmm. day does not equate to enough money for food, rent, car and all these other things. I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, yeah. So it was just too many stories. And at this point, I was just like, I don't even want to hear it because now you're just like babbling stupid shit. Where are you at? Because we want to pick up his stuff. And she's just like, I'm heading home. If you guys want to meet me there, I'll be there in 20 minutes. So we go there. 
she had all her stuff in the front of her house and she just left it there. Her two kids were sitting out front and I'm just like, oh, you send your goons to do your dirty work. That's fine. That's which let's come on. So they were sitting out front. I was like, oh, so your mom had you guys sit out front, whatever. I wasn't rude to them because they're children and they got nothing to do with the situation. I'm almost 30. So I'm not going to sit here and come at them crazy. They're children. So my only response to them was I find it really fucked up. And I'm sorry that you have a mother this way. It's not your fault. You didn't ask to have the mother that you do. But the reality is you two are sitting out here waiting for us, the family of Jeffrey, to come and pick up his things. And your mother isn't woman enough to come the fuck outside. You know what I mean? And at the very least, offer her condolences to our mother. We have to bury our brother in a few days. Okay. She's got to bury her son. And you're and you are children sitting out here waiting for adults to come and handle this situation instead of your mother being a woman and coming outside to give us his things. And they're like, oh, well, she didn't ask us to come outside. We just came outside. They said that they chose to come outside. Yeah, they chose to come. So, they just yeah. wanted to be outside. And I'm like, that's fine. She was and behind the door. The whole time, just listening to everything. And eventually, after we put all his belongings in our car... Then she decides to pop out after he mentioned she doesn't even have the decency to come outside and say anything to our mom or to us, whatever. Then she just pops her head out like, hey. But you know what's crazy about that, Mike? Even when she popped her head out, she never actually said my condolence. Not no. once. She's just like, it wasn't she, my fault. That was the first thing out her mouth. Was it wasn't like, my wasn't fault. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my condolences for your loss. I loved Jeffrey. I don't understand why this happened. We had our issues, but no. The first things out her mouth was, it's it wasn't my fault. Your brother was toxic. We yeah. should have been together. We were in a toxic relationship and all this extra shit. So I'm like, if you knew that, then why the fuck was you? Yeah. Well, she was trying to manipulate and, yeah. the situation. And I told this woman multiple times, I, and I said it to her face that day. I told you multiple times to leave my brother alone. Leave him alone because you're a toxic individual. You have too much trauma. You don't need to be with nobody. And instead, you sat there and tried to turn our brother against us and turn us against our brother because there was even a situation where at Steph's house, Started a whole crazy situation, poking and prodding at him. People will poke and prod at you until you explode and then sit back and be quiet and make you look crazy. Right. And that's exactly what she did. And at that time, seeing my brother blow up, I removed him from the situation. And I'm like, yo, just leave each other alone. I'm trying to de-escalate the situation. And she was just crying. And I don't know like why he is this way and all this stuff. And so now we're looking like, wait a minute. If he's treating you like this, then why aren't you just leave each other alone? Just get away from him. But she actually was the one going outside because I, I went outside and started antagonizing him even more. And I peeped it because I started walking outside and I came out quiet and she was by the car and still talking shit or whatever. And when she saw me there, she started crying and being quiet and acting like he was blowing up. But she was antagonizing him the entire time. So I had to literally physically remove her away from my brother. So I told her, you sat there and tried to turn him against us because she tried to act like I was like flirting with her. She tried to tell my brother I was flirting with her. And so my brother started texting me like, why are you texting her so much? Why are you calling her so much? I'm like, I could show you my receipts, my call logs and everything. Because every time I've talked to this woman, Stephanie's been there or my wife has been there. Number one, you're my brother. I would never do that to you. Number two, I'm married. I have no interest in your girl. And number three, she's the one always calling and texting me. I never initiate contact with her. And she would only So hit she us was up. very manipulative. Right. And she would only hit us up to find out details about Jeffrey's past. No, stop. Why are you bringing up his past that has nothing to do with you? You weren't even a factor. 
So why are you even trying to insert yourself somewhere where you weren't even belong there? The last time when we came to my house, two weeks before the incident, I'm like, bro, you need to leave her alone. And he's just like, wow. So at that moment, he was already in transition of leaving her. And like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to bring the firearm to you. I'm going to leave it in your safe because in the shelter, you can't have that. And then even that day, he was telling me that he was hesitant on coming over to spend time with his sibling and his nieces and nephews because, well, two things she was worried about. Oh, we'll find out how could I get back into your sister's good grace. You can't because I don't even like you. She, she's not welcome into this house. So. I'm not laughing at this situation. No. This is the way you be saying shit. Oh, because, you know. She's like, you can't. I don't you, like you. There's, there's no, <laughs> because I know you as a person. I don't want people like that around our, my kids. So he's like, she's not a bad person. Stop with this because, bro, from the beginning to end, we told you to leave this person alone. Because he used to always be like, oh, my brother, my sister don't ever like any of my girlfriends, whatever. They give us a reason to. And we're showing you. And you see that. And then towards the end, you know that we're right. And it's not that we don't like them. It's the simple fact that we see a lot of things that you don't see. Because you know, you're you in love. Can't you see know, the point of the truth. Right. You can't see I, it. So I'm like, I want you to just to hear it out. You don't have to go for it, but just pay attention to the signs. There's no trying to get right with me. Because at the end of the day, if she's treating my brother like shit, why would I want you around us and my kids? So we had those conversations. And then fast forward to everything that happened. But just to say, oh, it wasn't my fault and your brother was toxic and the relationship itself was toxic and we shouldn't have been together. Bitch, we told you that from the jump. Even her kids at this point. They kept pushing her to go inside the house because were, these these deals were coming off and yeah, I'm ready to be She was already, so just like, at this point, I'm trying to be the level-headed one. I'm like, okay, where's his phone? Because his phone's not in there. Where's the camera? Because we know for a fact that the answers that we want are going to be on those devices. Yeah. Right. Because Jeffrey was meticulous in that he always took videos, pictures, recordings of every fucking thing. So I said, I want to see it's gonna everything. Be in that phone, it's yeah. going to be on that phone. Don't have it. The, cop, the cops have it. So it's track it's, the phone it's sitting, and everything. It's sitting yeah. with them. So we had to wait but, a few days to go get it. I said to her, we kept telling you to leave him alone. He was good where he was at. You kept forcing, pushing and pushing and pushing. He felt at that point the only way to gain your trust was to live with you that's basically what you told him mm-hmm. that you weren't going to trust them until y'all were together and we kept telling y'all to stay away from each other and i kept telling you to stay away from him and just be friends or just dead the relationship because this is unhealthy you're an unhealthy person right. you have problems jeffrey has problems too i'm not saying that he was a saint but at the end of the day this could have been avoided and her kids then spoke up basically and was like we were telling you to to stop because you're toxic. They said that to their mother in front of our face. You're toxic, mom. They said, we knew Jeffrey was in the house. We said that we didn't want him in the house just to keep him away from you. That's bananas. I I don't even know what to say. Yeah. I mean, how do y'all heal? I don't think there's any healing right now. (laughs) This is so fresh. And we were just talking about it yesterday. We went to go see him at his gravesite. We were just like, this shouldn't have happened. We were supposed to all grow old with each other. We're supposed to bury our mom. I feel like there's an order to things. You know, I've always been a very traditional person in, in the sense of you're supposed to find a woman or find, you know, a partner and you marry them and then you have children with them and you grow old with them and they bury you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. For me, it's like, damn, that's my best friend. These are my first friends. Yeah, And yeah, there's some trauma bonding there, right? Because we all went through crazy shit together, mm-hmm. but it was always us three together. And so in my mind, it was never like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to bury my sister or my brother. No, no one ever thinks that that's going like, to happen. And you never think it's going to happen to you. I feel like there are certain situations in life where you look at them like, that's never going to be me. I watch a lot of true crime stuff. Like years ago, our aunt was murdered. We never thought that would happen to us. Our brother passing, our dad dying. We never thought any of these things would touch our lives. But yeah. you kind of expected as the children that you'll bury your parents, but not your sibling. 
we're all close in age. She's only four years older than me. Jeffrey me was Jeffrey only five like, years older than me. Yeah, They're only a year apart. Not even like 10 months apart. So we're like Irish twins. So it's like losing him, I lost a lot. I'm right. like, <laughs> a part of me died with him and our dad when they passed away. So it's, it's tough. You don't feel the same. When you're legitimate blood, someone that you're close with and that you have a, a relationship with, it feels like there's a piece of you that dies. Like the night before everything happened, my brother texted me. And he was like, hey, can you send me $8.90? But he wrote it as $8.90. He said for Uber, and I sent him a text back, and I said, I hope you mean $8.90. Otherwise, that's the most expensive Uber I ever fucking heard of. <laughs> and I, I remember for a split second, I got irritated because I, I was talking to my wife, and I said, Yo, every time Jeffrey needs something, he'll text me. So my wife was like, well, just don't give it to him. And the weirdest thing, bro, I kid you not, I said, if my brother were to kill himself, I never wanted on my conscience that I could have helped him and I didn't. And I don't know why I said it, bro. I don't know why I said it. Even my wife was like, why would you say that? And I'm like, I don't know. Something doesn't feel right. Yeah. And I believe that as human beings and people that you love and you care about, there's a thread that connects us. Something did not feel right to me. And it was like 11 at night and I had to work in the morning and I said, I'm just going to give it to him. I don't want that on my conscience. I, and I went to to go send it to him. Right before I sent it to him, he sends me another text. He said, never mind, Uber is not running. Because mm. we live in Pennsylvania. It's not like New York City where you can catch an Uber, Uber a taxi, anytime. a train, anytime. Yeah. We don't live in Philly. And I looked at my wife. I said, you know what? Maybe I should just go pick him up. And I, I tracked his location. I said, I'm about 25 minutes from you. Do you want me to just come get you? And he was like, no, nah, don't worry about it. The girlfriend woke up. She's going to come pick me up. And I said, bro, are you sure? Why don't you just let me just wait for me there? I'll come get you. And he was like, no, nah, don't worry about it. I appreciate it, though. I said, well, at least let me still send you some money. Go get something to eat. And he told me, you know, I haven't eaten in 18 hours. And for some reason, I don't feel hungry. I'm good. And I, I'm telling you, everything in my being was like, it's not brother. Right. something's mm -hmm. not right with him. And then the next morning, you know, at least I got to tell him I love him. You know what I mean? I'm like, I love you, bro. Go be safe. I got you. And he was like, I love you too. Go get some rest. And I was like, I'm already excited because there's a movie called Kermano where he says, you're going to get excited, Pop. And he's like, I'm already excited. So we used to always say that to each other. So he just laughs at my text message. And then the next day, I feel like almost in a sense, the universe constantly was making me busy that I never had a chance to look at my phone and text him or, or call him because work got hectic. I'm getting phone call at the phone call. I was getting frustrated. I was angry. I was irritated. We had gotten our first heat wave. So it was hot as fuck in my house and in my room. And I'm talking to my mom on the phone. Everything was fine. I said, mom, I'm going to go to the, I gotta go to the dollar store. Go buy me a fan. It's fucking hot as shit. Me and my mom hung up the phone five minutes later. She calls me back and I thought she was just calling to talk because me and my mom do that a lot. I thought, oh, she probably just wants to talk some more. I'm going to call her back because I was about to get in the shower. But then it called again and again, and I said, okay, something not right. She's calling me too much back to back. And when I answered, it was the police. They had, and I could hear my mother screaming in the background. And I'm like, what the fuck going on? Right. So obviously they told me everything and I just rushed over to my mom's house. And after that, I don't feel the same. I can honestly say I don't feel like the same person. I catch myself disassociating a lot more, just trying to cope being very sad or ang very anxious. Every time my phone rings, I'm waiting for another problem to be on the phone. So I'm paranoid when my phone rings, you know, with my mom, especially after what she went through the day after. So I'm constantly like in contact texting her. If my mom does not answer the phone, she'll tell you, I will literally drive up to my mom's. And my mom lives like 40 minutes from me. If she don't answer my phone call, I'm like, okay, I'm driving to your house. What's going on? I'm just in a constant state of fear. And 
there's, there's no way that I feel that you can really heal from that type of loss. And especially in such a violent way, in such a fucked up way to lose somebody, I don't think you really heal from it. I feel like in this process of grief, I'm just at the point where I'm trying to find meaning and purpose because otherwise it's like, was, why did this happen? I understand, but I don't understand. And right. so that's why it's so important to me of like, you know what, if other people are not going to do it, then I'll be the person to do it. If I got to go and, you know, a thousand podcast interviews and YouTube and make my whole YouTube channel, like if I have to make that all about mental health and I lose subscribers because I'm not talking all about trans things anymore, I don't care. This is an important, you know, conversation to that needs to be had. And it still kind of relates to us. We're still men, right? So it still kind of relates. So it is what it is. And Stephanie and I have talked about doing a, a benefit and getting money from that and then actually going to men in the community, seeing what we can do for men where we live in Lancaster County that need help getting out of their situation. I've made merch that I've posted on there, trying to get money from that so we can start our own shelter for men. You know what I mean? Or at least try to get in contact with some of the shelters out here. Hey, can we start donating money? Can we open a wing for just men of domestic violence? I want to be more involved in the community with men and be on the ground with men because women already have a bunch of resources. And I'm not saying that they don't need it, but they already have a bunch of shit. We don't. And I've had to have that conversation on YouTube with people who are commenting and block comments. Well, women go through this too. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but how many videos or channels or communities are there out there that are for men? We're not talking about women right now. We're talking about men right now. It's okay for us to talk about men. It doesn't have to be that we're being misogynist or sexist or we don't care about women. Why can't we do both? Right. Plenty of other people. Talking about things that relate specifically to men doesn't equal talking about things that invalidate women. You can big up men and still love and appreciate and understand that there is a huge issue with misogyny in society Mm -hmm. and that women need support. And I think that's what this whole podcast has always been about. Ain't shit about me or my life or the things that I do that is anti-woman, but... Men need resources too. So I appreciate you clarifying that. And obviously I know what it is, but for the sake of some people listening who might not, you know, wanting there to be resources for men is not like a pie. It's infinite. Wanting more resources for men doesn't mean that you want less resources for women or that women's stories aren't valid. I think a lot of people have this mentality too, though, that's like, if we're talking about men, we're taking away from women. Because there are so many people out there who say the patriarchy only caters to men. So why do men need more things? There are people out there who think that way. And it's like, yeah, sure. The patriarchy has benefited men for a lot of years. But it's kind of like what I said earlier, that that misogyny actually harms men too. Yeah. And this is one of those ways that it's harming us. Absolutely. Um, We just block our minds by keeping ourselves busy every day, you know. I always told Jeffrey or even Micah, the world still rotates without the ones we love. So it just doesn't stop because we lost a loved one. This is life. We understand the, I guess, the concept of, okay, we live to die. We talked about it yesterday. Like, why? And That's so a big it, question. Why? We can always go into thinking of why, but at the end of the day, it's just like the situation itself of how he died and how everything could have been avoided. It sucks. It hurts. So I'm the type of, I can just... And it's not healthy, obviously. You know, you bottle up your emotions. Thank you for clarifying. It's not healthy. It's not, it's not healthy. I'll, I'll bottle my shit up and just be like, I'll deal with it my own way the best way I know. Whether it be like, go throughout my day, do what I have to do, work, deal with the kids, deal with the household stuff, and then just have that 10 minutes, 15 minutes alone in the shower and cry it all out. And then 
continue to do it. And it's like, again, it's not healthy, but you know what? That's how I can deal with my emotions and not lose my mind or freak out and, and go crazy. Then so be it. And I try to think of positive sides for me and feelings like, okay, I have my kids, I have my family here and all that stuff. That doesn't mean that I don't care or, or Jeffrey's insensitive. The topic itself is insensitive. I have to figure out a way to continue to move forward with or without him. And, and, it, and it's, it hurts, it sucks. And a lot of the first things are coming up holidays and his birthday mm-hmm. next month. So it's just like, we got to deal with it. And we can deal with it the best way we can, being there for each other, supporting each other. He goes to therapy and stuff like that. I share my therapeutic tools with Stephanie because she won't go to therapy. I won't. I have my own opinions about it. It's just me. I'm just like, let me deal with it my way. I was just like, I have mental health. I haven't even recertified anything that I do with that because with the situation that happened, I can't even sit there and try to give advice or my opinions to anybody else. If I can't take care of myself, I can't take care of you. I have to step away for a little bit and just regroup and, and get myself back together before doing any of that. But the healing process, it's going to take a long time and it's like... There's no time limit on healing, but I also think too, is it really healing or coping mechanisms of dealing with the loss and then how to adjust life without that person not being here anymore? I feel like you're looking at healing as almost like cured. Mm-mm. I look at no, heal- not a cured. Well, 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 because the scars are always there. Always so there. I look at healing as, in a sense, it is coping. It's just getting to a point where you can manage when you're yeah. not constantly in a state of being triggered. To me, <laughs> healing is. Just being in a state of like, okay, I can cope. I can live a, a, a productive life and whatever that means for me. That's healing for me. I think a lot of people look at healing as like a cure in a sense. Because when you think of a cure, you think of it's almost as if it never existed. It never happened. Right. It's gone. That's the it's way gone. you were before it happened. Like I'm a clean slate. Yeah. Right. No one will ever be that way. No. Everything one, changes you. Yes. Everything yeah. changes you. So now I think of it like as instead of a cure, I think of healing as a medication. I'll always have this thing or something that changed me, right? Or it's like surgery almost. You always have the scars or the medication. You know what I'm trying to say? You'll There's always, always going to be a reminder of it. Yeah. Right. You'll always have that, but you'll be better. You'll be okay. Right. You can, you can continue living. You're never going to be a blank slate again. You'll be able to manage it. Right. That to me is healing. And I think that we're still in that phase of trying to find. And I think that's where people forget about that last stage of grief right? Which is finding meaning. That's when I'll know I'm at a better place. You know, I I found purpose. So that's what I'm trying to do is find purpose in this. That is therapeutic for me in the process. And it's helping my healing to be able to say, okay, I'm going on these podcasts and I'm talking about Jeffrey. I'm honoring his memory of who he was as a person, not just the trauma that he dealt with up to the end of his life, but also talking about how smart he was, how funny he was, how direct he was, how weird he could be sharing the essence of who he was, also using the experience that we endured to say, look, if you're out there and you're struggling with this, there are people that love you. I, I wish that my brother could have seen, we packed out that motherfucking church on his funeral. You know, even when I gave his eulogy, I'm like, damn, I wish you could see this. How many people here love you and cared about you? Right. And hopefully we can continue spreading that message. We can keep talking about mental health for men and res- what resources can we give men? How can we support men? How can we help men? have more fulfilling lives, healthier lives, emotionally stable lives, better relationships, right? How can I use this experience that has changed our family, changed me as a person? How can I use this to help other people? And I think that that's where I'm at because otherwise I will go crazy. Yeah. Sitting here wondering, why did this have to happen? Why do people die? And go down that rabbit hole and spin out of control. It's like, okay, How can I use this to help someone else? 
And how can I honor Jeffrey and, and keep his name out there and keep his memory out there? And I wish that he could see now, like, yo, his name and his story has already been having a tremendous impact on the lives of other people. We have had so many men reach out to us and say, I'm in an abusive really. I didn't realize this until hearing about Jeffrey's story and, and seeing this, these parallels in his relationship to my own relationship. And, and that's been a beautiful thing to be like, okay, now we know that you're struggling. What can we do now to support you? And it's a little bit cathartic in a sense too, because it's like, damn, this is what I should have done for Jeffrey. And I feel like for me, I'm making up for that. I couldn't do it for my brother, but I can do it for someone. Someone else, right? Right. I, I really appreciate the fact that y'all are taking this tragedy and using it to spread a message forward. I hope you all find peace. First of all, I want to thank Micah and Steph for sharing what is a very difficult story to share. And uh, I send my condolences to them and the rest of their family on behalf of their brother. I hope that Jeffrey gets justice. There is a justice for Jeffrey hashtag. If you want to find out what Micah is doing uh, in addition to the work that he's doing to amplify the conversation around uh, intimate partner violence in men you can follow him online at realistically free you can follow mike on instagram there is his youtube series there are plenty of other things that he does and once again just shout out to you for sharing your story and my condolences um so i'm looking at some statistics right now and a few things that i'm going to read off that are really interesting to me one in seven men aged 18 and older in the United States uh, has been the victim of severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. And I am reading all of this information from the Onslow Women's Center website. Uh, nearly 76% of men, so three quarters of men, have reported repeatedly receiving unwanted calls and texts. Uh, one in 19 men in the United States has experienced stalking victimization at some point during their lifetime in which they felt very fearful or believed that they or someone close to them would be harmed or killed. Uh, and uh, men are primarily stalked by an intimate partner or acquaintance. Um, I have been stalked. It was not by an intimate partner, but it is very, very frightening. Um, a lot of men don't report these things. I've certainly had issues when I was reporting uh, my harassment and stalking. Um, police don't take it seriously. Uh, law enforcement doesn't think that men, uh, particularly when you get to men of color, are capable of being abused. Um, and like I said at the intro, a lot of men don't even realize that they're being abused, abused or may try to deal with the abuse on their own because they don't want to be seen as weak. So there are a lot of uh, societal roadblocks in place when it comes to uh, physical and emotional violence. And obviously, emotional violence is really, really hard to quantify. But there are resources. Uh, we had Ori Givens on the show a while back, and Ori Givens works for the Anti-Violence Project of New York City. And uh, you can find out about their resources by going to avp.org. That is avp.org. Uh, there is also a group called One in Six. And uh, what does One in Six do? Uh, they are partnered with RAIN to bring attention to men who have had unwanted, abusive sexual experiences and also to provide uh, support and information. And there is a crisis line, an anonymous online chat. Uh, if you're struggling with domestic violence or sexual assault, the crisis line is 910-347-4000. Uh, the 1 in 6 website, which I am trying to get to right now, is 1in6.org. Uh, you can uh, get information and uh, you can read some survivor stories there. And uh, there is also, of course, 
the standard anti-violence number, um, the domestic violence line, and bear with me as I Google here because I lost the screen. Uh, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which is 1-800-799-7233. That is 1-800-799-7233. Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Uh, you can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill, or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, rate, comment, help a brother out, uh, help us move up in the rankings. Uh, follow me on social media. Like I said, uh, follow our Patreon or subscribe to my Patreon, actually. Patreon.com slash DetoxicityPod. You get access to exclusive episodes. You get episodes a little earlier than the general public. You get a cool-ass sticker. Lots of stuff. Once again, Patreon.com slash DetoxicityPod. Quick shout-out to Calvin Williams for providing the music and uh, doing his magic on the logo, which was originally designed by Jacob Block. I thank you all for listening. I wish you all the best. Please take care of each other. Till next time, peace.